On today's show, our guest is Tammy Kirkness. Does a nine to five grind ever get you down? No matter what you do for a living, whether that's in a job or in your own business, the repetitive nature of work can sometimes encroach into the balance of your life. Throw into the mix expectations of a career advancement, a perfect family life, health, property, and the desire for more and more wealth, and you often have a recipe for disaster. Corporate burnout is much more common than you would think, and often people seem to have it really together. They pay their bills on time, they're great at their jobs, their career is moving forward at a great rate of knots. However, deep down, often people are suffering from the heavy weight of expectation and conforming to what society expects of them. Our guest today experienced all of these things, and ultimately, that ended really badly for her. Ridiculous hours in the corporate world led to chronic fatigue and exacerbated the anxiety she was feeling. Ultimately, this led to a very serious burnout. Fast forward, and after some deep introspection and a determination to embrace a more holistic lifestyle, Tammy discovered her true self. Tammy's business, Vision Scope Coaching, helps businesses and individuals with the slow-moving stresses of the modern corporate world that we all face. She's an expert in helping people with high-functioning anxiety and even has an online course to help people through this challenge and onto a more balanced and holistic life. For me as a podcaster, this is one of the most important topics that I could ever cover since it relates to every single person with a job or a business, which is virtually everyone listening to this show. Being more mindful and understanding what's happening with your breath and the chemistry of your body are some really simple tools that you can use to help you take back control of your life if you're feeling a bit stressed out or just a little bit down about work. Tammy has some amazing and effective solutions, and it's my pleasure to be sharing her story and her philosophy with you today. Remember, you are completely in control of your life, and you're the one that's responsible for your future and for your sovereignty as an individual and as a contributing member of this society that we all live in. Your future depends on knowing yourself and knowing that you have found a balance and an equilibrium in your life. If you're having a bit of a hard time finding that balance, Tammy will help you get there. So listen in closely as she drops value bomb after value bomb on today's show. I'm excited she's here, so please help me in welcoming Tammy Kirkness. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass, and this is the Go All In Podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache, and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. Well, good day, Tammy. Welcome to the show, mate. It's so great to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All right, I'd like to start off with all of my guests with a little quick quiz. It's a little get to know you. It helps us calm the nerves a little bit. And for your friends and family listening at home, maybe they'll learn something about you that they don't already know. All you have to do is tell me the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? I'm ready. All right, all right. Do you prefer coaching or mentoring? Coaching, for sure. Do you prefer working with individuals or with businesses? Both, actually. Oh, come on, you can't play both sides. You've got to pick one. <laughs> well, my business is split down the middle. Half of oh, the okay. time I coach individuals and the other half of the time I run workshops in corporate. So it's definitely a both for that one. <laughs> is, it, is it more satisfying to get a result from a big team or from an individual? 
probably an individual because there's a lot more vulnerability that happens one-on-one than in a team. So there you go. Nice, nice. <laughs> Do you prefer public speaking or the solitude of writing? Oh, I am a public speaking junkie. So oh. definitely public speaking. But do you do a bit of writing as well? Or have you got somebody that does that for you? Oh, no, I definitely do the writing myself. And I feel really proud of anything that I write and comes out. But public speaking is such a rush, an amazing thing where the adrenaline kicks in. And it's such a joy to be able to speak your truth and have people nod along and get it and have some ahas. Nice, nice. One of my friends is a writer. He's like a journo and he writes a lot of books and stuff like that. And he says writing has a lot of solitude to it. And sometimes it's like shouting down an empty hallway where you don't really get any feedback. But I also love the solitude of writing as well because I feel like I get my opinion out and there's no one in the way. There's nothing like that as well. So I think that's cool. (laughs) All right. Can you sing? Oh, good Lord, no. You're not going to sing a few bars in the podcast here? Oh my goodness, I am absolutely one of the worst singers I know, so it's a definite no. All right, cool. Would you prefer to be in the office working away or out networking doing your thing? Networking for sure, as long as it's not that sort of smarmy, oh, how can I service your business? Here's my business card. As long as it's not that and it's real proper conversations, networking for sure. I always giggle to myself at these networking events. Sometimes I feel like they're time machines where you go back to the 1980s and they're real sleazy, slimy things, these business card swaps and that. And and I think if you go to good networking meetings, there's a lot to be said for modern day networking and how that works and how that can help your business and how it can be really good, right? Uh, And I find that all of the people that I've gone on to do work or collaborations or partnerships with are people that even if we weren't doing the collaboration, we'd hang out anyway because we actually like each other's company. So it's not because, well, I can up-level your business this way and you can do the same for mine, rah, rah, rah. It's I like your company. I love your values and they replicate mine. Let's do something together and see how we can help others. Yeah, very nice. Well, Well said, well put. All right, would you say that you're old school or a little bit new age? So new age. My feet are currently resting on a rose quartz as we speak. (laughs) Is there some, there must be some old school things in there. Come on. (laughs) There's also incense wafting in the air if if that gives you an image. No old school. Well, some of that new age stuff has been around for thousands of years. So that's about as old school as it really gets, isn't it? Well, yes, this is true. I was did my teacher training for yoga underneath monks in India, and they are very old school, so sure. Well, there you go. Nice. You got both sides of it there. All right, last one. If you could go to, you know, it's a typical podcasting question, I'm going to ask it anyway. If you could go back in time for 10 minutes and spend 10 minutes with anybody, who would you go and hang out with? Oh, Queen Oprah. <laughs> no way. She's still around. Um, I adore Oprah and her ability to create a platform for conversations that were previously not spoken about. And she shines lights on things like mental health, like, you know, connecting with yourself in a stronger way. And I adore that. And I'd love to be in her presence for 10 minutes. I don't know if you can see the pictures on the wall behind me, and I'm certain if you're listening to the podcast, you can't see that, but Oprah is one of those there. I love Oprah because she was, she found a path. 
she was uh, a black woman in a in a somewhat racist society that kind of came out and led from the front and did what she wanted to do. I love the story of Oprah where she starts to become really successful and they want to pay her more money and she refuses to get paid more money unless the producers and the people and the staff in and around her get paid more money as well at the same time. It's a really inspirational story. And if you don't know the, the beginnings of where Oprah came from, because she's been, been in our society for such a long time, it's something that you should really go back and have a look at. It's very, very inspiring stories, right? Uh, she is absolutely a trailblazer. She's an incredible woman. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Tammy, for sharing all of that with us. A little bit of fun to kick off with. Will people come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in? So if you could, mate, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? I think my major story related to that is a bit of a double-edged sword in that I was working in the corporate world and I had gone all in, as you say, in that I put work before everything and I thought that that's what it meant to be successful and I worked very long hours. I really dedicated myself to saving each individual and being a real rescuer and By doing that, as probably everybody listening can imagine, I totally burnt out and I ended up riddled with anxiety. I had chronic fatigue syndrome, adrenal fatigue, fibromyalgia. I was sick from the inside out, but externally, absolutely nobody would have known because I had become grade A at masking how healthy and happy and successful I was. And so people bought into that. And so I know it came as a big shock to other people when I had to leave the corporate world because I was so burnt out and exhausted. And one of those moments for me was when I was walking to a meeting, I'd been working crazy hours that week and mid stride I blacked out and thankfully before the next stride I kind of came to and only had a tiny tumble but it was enough for me to shake my foundations and say this isn't working whatever you're doing as right now is not working and it took a really long time for me to rebuild everything get healthier become happy with who I was, accept who I was. And that's probably the second part of the go all in where I went, hang on a second, this was avoidable. I didn't need to become successful this way. I could have still taken down time and relaxed and enjoyed my own presence and the gifts that I have to bring to the world. And so I took it upon myself to create a life coaching practice where I'd specialize in people who were doing pretty well externally. They looked quite successful. They paid their bills on time. They had a great job. They might have been a parent, but inside they were crumbling and worried and fretting and fearful about what was around the corner and what was happening next. So that time when I went all in, I did it with a a lot more grace and peace around it to make sure that I could better educate and coach and mentor people to feel happy in their skin, accept who they are, respect who they are without burning out or breaking down, basically. 
Well, you, you describe it with grace and peace and there's such language is such an important thing. And it even kind of makes me feel nice when you say it like that. <laughs> Thank how you. bad it was but now you did it gracefully and you did it peacefully and the tone when you say that kind of changes and you can feel what a difference that is and it's such a mm. big thing that internal self-talk that you had i want to back up a little bit if you don't mind and can you just tell the listeners what your actual role was in the corporate world what was your job title yeah, so I worked in HR and I did a combination of general people practices. So that's everything from hiring and firing to uh, performance development, that sort of thing, and also executive coaching. Well, how long were you in there when you realized that you started to achieve some good things? It started to become successful for you. Whatever you were doing there on the front end of it was working well for you. Were you a year into your career there, two years? How, how far in? Honestly, it was probably from when I first started. So I, at school, I was younger for my year than pretty much everybody else. So perpetually the youngest person in the year went to uni when I was 17, so much so that I couldn't even access the internet at uni because I was too young. I had to forge my parents' signature so I could research on the internet. (laughs) What a nerd. (laughs) How funny. And so when I stepped into the corporate world, I was grateful that I felt like I was a bit of a head of the game because I had some extra time up my sleeve. And I was very grateful in that some of the things I started off doing, which was recruitment and business analysis, I just happened to be good at it. So I thought that meant that I liked it, which turns out is a very, (laughs) it's an important piece of discernment that I've now learned that if you're good at something, it doesn't necessarily mean that you like it. Very true. And and how long were you in there before it started to come undone? Tell me, can you remember what that felt like? You you describe walking along and then kind of nearly fainting as you're walking along. Obviously, it's affecting your health. There's something seriously wrong with your health there. How long had you been in the corporate world when that, that had happened to you? Around about eight or nine years or so. so. And yeah, and I didn't It's so funny to look back now in that I really didn't recognize the signs that my body was falling apart. You know, even when I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and I had to go every week in the middle of my work day to get hooked up to IVs, to sit there, to reinfuse my body with everything that it needed. Honestly, (laughs) it might sound a bit nuts, but I still hadn't twigged that this was not okay. My body was, and my mind and my spirit was so used to running at this frenetic pace that it didn't understand or acknowledge any other pace. And so it was like, okay, well, I go and I get jabbed up with needles. I redo everything and back to work I go. Okay, let's kick some more goals. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did you ever ask yourself at that time, maybe, I don't know if you remember, like what was it all for, to what end? Yes, I have definitely done some self-searching in that space. And what I now realise with the benefit of hindsight is that it was all fear-based. Everything was fear-driven in right. that if I don't achieve X or I don't get this promotion or earn this much or get this kind of recognition... I don't matter. And I mean, that's a pretty heavy thing to walk around with. And I think a lot of people do that every day when they front up to work, their business, as a parent, as an entrepreneur, that if I don't achieve X, nobody cares who I am. 
nobody wants to hear what I have to say. So it was constantly sort of chasing the recognition. Did you get it? Did you get some recognition? Yeah, but it was always short-lived. You know, I won awards and got best in the team for this and that, but the halo effect was very short in that after a day or so or a week or so, I was already chasing the next thing. So as you, as you move along in your corporate career, you start to recognize that your health is not right. This living like that is not right. What happened? Did you just one day chuck it all in, get a brown box and empty your desk out and go home? Or was it a bit of a slower progression? Or was it kind of something that happened quickly for you? It was a little bit dramatic, actually, in that it was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then I had... One guy say something to me that just, it was out of line, not okay, not great corporate behavior. And I just went, nope. And I, it was kind of felt like a bit of a movie. It was very surreal. I picked up my laptop. I picked up my phone and my handbag. I spoke to our CFO and I walked out and I literally never walked back into that building again. Right. And how did that feel? Can you remember what that felt like when he walked out? Awful. Actually, completely awful. I think when you see that sort of thing on TV, it looks so liberating and they're high-fiving people on the way out. But for me, it felt like pouring everything I, I currently knew down the drain and not knowing what was next. Yeah, I think if you've ever quit a job in disgust or in frustration or just because you've had enough and you don't want to do it anymore. It's, it's not a liberating feeling at all. It's a very uncomfortable feeling and that sticks around for a, a couple of days and sometimes a couple of weeks until you pick yourself up and kind of move on. Tell me about that process on the other side of it. You get yourself home, you realize what you've done, you realize there's got to be some changes. There's got to be a better way in the world. What did you do next? I did everything from quite a holistic perspective in that thankfully I had the foresight to understand that there was no silver bullet to sort out chronic fatigue, anxiety and corporate burnout. So I did a mix of things and I made my focus on going slower, which for me was so, so difficult because (laughs) yeah, I had been used to running and the concept of walking was actually quite anxiety inducing. So I scaled back all of my exercise. So anything that was high intensity, all of a sudden became yin yoga, Pilates, swimming and walking, (laughs) uh, which was really hard. You Uh, went from the personal trainer and the hip training (laughs) to the yoga and to the hippie stuff. Yeah. (laughs) That's beautiful. It's a beautiful contrast. Exactly right. I saw an energetic healer. I had a psychologist. I, changed my diet to more uh, calmer foods, root-based vegetables, less sugar, less alcohol, less caffeine, just everything at a slower pace, which was just torture, quite frankly. Were these all the things that you didn't want to do previously? Living in the corporate world, you look at people that like that and you go, man, how do they live like that? How do you do that? And it just doesn't, it just doesn't resonate with some people. But then if it all comes to a grinding halt and to a stop and you find you discover that new way of living that new lifestyle, did you feel like you were like all of a sudden playing for the enemy? You're on the other side and you're doing something that you never thought you'd be doing? Yeah, well, you know, I'd always been reading lots of things about what was great for your health and well-being and that sort of thing. So logically, 
I understood that these things were great for the body and mind, Mm -hmm. but then changing gears completely was, oh, it was quite foreign. It was quite I like foreign. seven cups of coffee a day. I don't want to drink a cup of tea. <laughs> what do you mean peppermint tea? Yeah, yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, it's hard <laughs> to make a transition. So tell me, you, you came out on the other side of it. It sounds like it was a process of self-discovery there for you. You travelled a little bit as well, didn't you? Yeah, so I travelled throughout my corporate career as well and I had done you know, I had done my yoga teacher training along the way in India. I'd done career coaching over in, in Cambodia in Siem Reap, which was pretty amazing. And then after that corporate stuff, it was sort of a coming to coziness moment. So all of that traveling got put on hold for a while until I rebuilt, built myself from the inside out so I could better give to other people. How long did it take you to do that? Did it take you a couple of months, a year? It's, I mean, it's an ongoing process. So I get that, but you kind of yeah. must have realized at some point along the way, hey, this is really working for me at start. This is a, this is really good. Yeah, probably around six to nine months. It's not that long compared to the eight-year craziness of corporate world. You come out <laughs> the other side six months later, you kind of found yourself again. That's wonderful. Yeah, it felt a lot longer at the time. Yeah. <laughs> The detox from the coffee and the booze and stuff like that is hard. It hurts. Ah, and, you know, to make it clear for all of the listeners, it's not like I was drinking crazy amounts. I didn't even, I've never particularly liked coffee so much. It was chocolate and lots and lots of tea. And it was just sort of a medium level of stuff that you know is not that good for you. You know, I wasn't the alcoholic or anything crazy like that. And I think a lot of people, when they look at transformation stories, you know, it's somebody who's reached absolute rock bottom. They're living on the street. They're an alcoholic. They're gambling. And it doesn't, in actual fact, it doesn't have to look like that. And that's certainly not my story. So for people listening who go, oh, but, you know, I'm just feeling a little bit flat or a bit anxious or quite unhappy with my manager or my business, that's okay. You don't have to crash and burn to be able to come out the other side. Yeah, dead right. I I love the idea of trying to improve yourself by half a percent or just 1% a day. If you you open up a spreadsheet and just ask yourself, honestly, just be as honest as you can with yourself. And what did I do today to improve? And if I didn't really do that much, but today, you know, I trained for 90 minutes in the morning instead of having four cups of coffee. I had just one. That's a a tiny, a quarter of 1% improvement in my health. And if I could just maintain that for a period of a week, my health will improve by a couple of percentage points. And that incremental improvement is very, very difficult. And when you're down there trying to make those changes, that's really hard. But if you just go a little bit at a time, incrementally like that, it can sort of come to bear. And it's by the time you arrive at a 10% improvement, it's like, well, man, that's like, that was worth doing, right? <laughs> I think it's important to remember as well that habit creation and change requires on average 66 days. It's a long time, man, when you're trying to change something that feels like forever. It does feel like forever. But for most people, their habits have been around for all of their adolescence, all of their adulthood, and maybe some of their childhood. So in comparison, nine and a half weeks is not so long. But as long as we acknowledge that it's not, if I do it for two weeks, and now why am I going to the gym every day? I think that's really important to know. 
Yeah, dead right, dead right. So now I meet the Tammy that I see here in front of me on the screen that I'm talking to, and she seems really lighthearted and happy and really kind of fun to be around with, and it's really cool. How have you changed in the last 12 to 18 months? Are you still on that journey? Is it still a, a process of growth? How, if I met you 18 months ago, how different would you be from today? Oh, great question. Yes, I've absolutely changed. And I think I don't take things as seriously now. (laughs) You know, I've had my business four and a bit years. And when I was starting it, I (laughs) was a little bit serious about it, you know. And I think probably now that, you know, people have heard of my business and everything, almost all of my clients come through referrals, individuals and corporates. It's freed me up to go, you know what, you can just be you. It's so it's a constant pulling back of the onion layers for sure. But I have really recognized that I don't have things to apologize for. You know, even 18 months ago, I think I was still uh, prefacing a lot of what I said about a spiritual version of me, which was, I know it sounds a bit weird or a bit woo woo or a bit hippie, (laughs) but here's this thing that's going to work. Whereas now I, I simply say, I've got this amazing technique, let's give it a go, which is a real, real turning of a corner for me because I feel proud of the yin yang that I am. You know, I do still utilize all of those corporate techniques and, and those, that background and traditional coaching methodology and science. But then on the other hand, if we need to chant or if we need to do emotional freedom tapping and you need to hold a a crystal we are good with that let's use the best from both worlds and not apologize for it so i feel really proud of my evolution in that respect it's the full spectrum it's the full spectrum of analysis and a full spectrum of delivery which is it gives you that rounded ability to work with just about anybody that wants to be the scientific version the corporate version or the woo-woo hippie spiritual version which is all all good too we all learn in different ways so that's really cool when you decided that you were gonna turn this into a business what did that feel like had you had a business before or was this your first business your first venture into it no it was my first business i'd always read business books and been fascinated by you know books like the lean startup everything that seth godin has ever written always adored that that style of thinking. And so it actually felt like a real relief for me because even though I was working those crazy hours in corporate, I often felt that my style of thinking didn't match up with the organizations that I worked for. And I found it often quite frustrating that I'd say, well, let's just try this and see if it sticks. If it doesn't, we'll we'll pivot and change. And that's just not the methodology and the modality that most corporates work under. Mm-hmm. So when I got to do things my own way, try things, uh, see if they worked, do things that were a little bit out there with marketing or advertising, it was refreshing. I went, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this. What a relief. <laughs> Yeah, no, you, you take the shackles off the corporate world and you can go and mm. you just go for it, right? And fail fast at things that don't work and the stuff that does work, you kind of pour on the coals. How long were you into the business before you started to get a bit of traction and realize, hey, I can actually do something with this. I've got a customer paying me. Was it were you a couple of months in? Were you a year in? How far in? I am very grateful in that I was probably a couple of weeks. In. Oh, no way. 
But <laughs> away, you're giving false hope to everybody out there. Start a business. I'm so You'll aware be successful that's in three weeks. Go for it. <laughs> but nine you know, years of pain and then all that self-discovery and then here you are. It's no surprise, actually. You know, I believe that when you start to align yourself with your true path and, and the gifts that you've got to share with the world, things often flow with greater ease than you ever thought possible. So yeah. I remember something that, you know, still coming from the goal setting mentality back then, I said, you know, I bought this beautiful bracelet and I said to myself, when I get my first client, I'm going to put this bracelet on. And so before I did each potential call with a potential client, I'd visualize myself putting this bracelet on, you know, it would feel cold on my wrist, you know, what it would look like in the sun, all of that sort of thing. And it really was reasonably quick, as I just mentioned, Mm -hmm. that I got to put that bracelet on. And years on now, I still really appreciate the feeling of relief and joy and validation that I was doing the right thing that bracelet represents for me. Well, that's fantastic. That's a really very, very nice story and a very eloquent way of describing how it felt to be successful on the front end of it. It's really cool. Thank you for sharing that with us. When you start a business and you get going with it, you're into marketing, you're into sales, you're into delivery, you're into dealing with problems, you're into cash flow, you're into accounting. How do you be the octopus in small business when you'd never done that before? You've got your, you need eight arms to deal with 10 different things at a time and you've still got no time left in the day. Did the corporate world set you up for success there or was it something you just learned <laughs> along the way and felt your way through? Definitely just gave it a shot. I am nice. a perpetual list maker. So I was always <laughs> making to-do lists and prioritizing them and that definitely helped. But I actually don't think that that's changed since when I started the business till now, because it, we still have to deal with that same level of ambiguity of thinking that we understand things. And then there's a new, a new software that pops up and you go, Oh God, I still don't know how to use that. Oh, God. Okay, great. All right. Better learn that. But at the start, I was very grateful in that I found people that offered to mentor me, which I was just to this day, I'm so grateful for it because they saw something in me that maybe I hadn't entirely seen in myself yet. And they wanted to be part of the journey. And so by constantly picking their brains, chatting to my friends that had businesses and utilizing the bits that did work for me in the corporate world, like planning out a week and planning out a month. And if you don't know the answer to something, what's the best question to find out the most accurate answer? So smooshing that all together is kind of what got me through it and doing my best. It is a mess. It was, it was such a mess to be IT and web developer and graphic designer and cold caller. Oh God, don't do that. But anyway, I gave that a go anyway. And coach and workshop facilitator and all of these things wrapped up into one person. I often say to people now who I'm coaching, who want to start a business, I say, if you want to be a business person, great, let's make this business work for you. But if you want to be a hairdresser or a coach or a personal trainer, and you don't want to be a business person, please go and work for somebody else because 40% of your time is going to be doing your craft and 60% of the time is is running an organization and a company. Which is difficult to do. So it sounds like you surrounded yourself with some really good people there. 
Yeah, I believe that you're the average of the five people that you hang around with. Very and true, isn't it? That saying, very true. Yeah, and I believe that that's also the same for your financial vibration as well. So I was really conscious to make sure that I didn't hang around with entrepreneurs that just had zero dollars to their name and and got through their day by only eating noodles. I wanted to be around people who felt empowered financially by what they've created and how they're gifting that to the world and the people around them. So I made sure there was a mix of lots of different techniques and skills and capabilities. Nice. Well, Vision Scope Training is your business and you've worked with a, a lot of larger clients as well, right? Tell us a little bit about that and, and how you've worked with some of those larger corporates and some, maybe some of the inside scoop of what you do for them. <laughs> so one of the clients that I had for three and a half years was the beautiful stationery store run by Christina Carlson, Kiki K. So I wrote workshops for them that are currently being run around the world. I am still the face of Kiki K workshops. So if you walk into one of their stores, you'll, you'll see this face. Um, and I had the pleasure of running workshops for them every week for, for many years. And I think the story about how I came about that is a really interesting one because I was having a chat with somebody right when I started my business and she said, well, what do you want in business? And I said, to start off with, and even though I was saying it to her, I felt like I was saying it to a broader, higher power out there somehow, a weird feeling, but amazing. And I said, you know what? I want a business that has the same values, that believes what I believe and wants to help people out there. It doesn't have to be coaching, but I want to have them pretty much as a retainer. Right. And then about 15 minutes after I was having that coffee with that lady, I was in office works and I had this voice in my head. It's going to sound nuts. And it said, go to Kiki K right now. And I literally, I got in my car and I drove to one of their stores and I had a voucher to spend. And then one of the women in there, she said, oh, you should come to one of our workshops. And I said, oh, but out of interest, uh, who runs them? And she said, oh, you won't believe it. The woman who used to run these happiness workshops, she has fallen pregnant. And all we are looking for is somebody who believes what we believe, who has the same values as us, and who wants to spread joy and happiness and empowerment to people. And we just can't find her. <laughs> Isn't that Put it bananas? Out there and it's and I went. It'll line up with you faster than you ever thought possible, right? That is amazing. What an amazing it was so mind blowing. It took me. I got. I remember getting back in the car and having a bit of a breathe. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. And then within six weeks, I had done Skype conversations and all of this, and then I had them as a long term client. So it was pretty amazing. Wow, it's a, it's almost like a, a leap of faith. The fact that all of that alignment and all of that stuff happened, but you kind of put yourself out there, you backed yourself. And in some ways, maybe you didn't realize it, but you're looking back with hindsight, you probably agree. You, you went all in on it. You were all in on that thinking. You turned up there and, hey, look what happened. You just put yourself out there and, and had a go. Someone asked me the other day, hey, Rob, what's the common trait between all of these people that you talk to and all of these people that you work with outside the podcast and whatnot about going all in? What's, is, is there something common there? You know, like how Tony Robbins studies success and he says success leaves clues and does this and does that. Success is so far downstream from the mindset and the mentality of going all in. And I think the most common thing that I see amongst people that have 
gone all in on stuff and either failed or succeeded, it doesn't really matter, is they put themselves out there and they just had a go. They didn't really care what anyone else said. And there's a lot of military guys that I interview and some really high achievers in and amongst that, you know, in the fighter pilot community that I've interviewed. And those guys are very humble in what they do. And you kind of look at those guys as an outsider and say, man, how did you achieve that? You know, you've got 2000 hours on an F-18 or something like that. And they're all like, well, I just put myself out there and I, I had a go. And it sounds like you did exactly the same thing. You put yourself out there, you had a go and you came up on the other side of it with a, with a contract, which is really cool, right? Yeah. I think a lot for me as well is all about trusting my gut and intuition and under, and being able to discern what is kind of the the mean girl voice that's in the back of my head saying <laughs> things that I absolutely need to acknowledge and then drown out and what are the things that are helpful tidbits that I need to trust and move forward with them and that's really helped me in my business. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, one of the things that was really interesting to me in doing a little bit of research in your profile before you came on the show here was in and around the things that you said about chronic fatigue, about anxiety and about perfectionism. And you kind of alluded to it a little bit on the front of your story there when you said from an outsider looking at you, everything looked like you had it together. Like there was nothing wrong. You were very yep. successful. Things were going really well, but internally your health was suffering and mentally you were suffering anxiety was a problem and all of these things there. And what was really interesting to me was I think that that's a, that's a very common thing. And I don't think that people speak up enough about that. And I mean, I, I encounter a lot of people and engage with a lot of people. What would you say about getting some help and about some maybe really easy techniques and tips that you could use to kind of help yourself on that journey to get started for the people that are listening that might be suffering from a little bit of that? Well, I specialize in working with people with what's called high functioning anxiety. So that is the flavor of anxiety where outwardly, like you just spoke about, you are doing really well. Uh, life looks pretty peachy from the outside looking in, but inside there are still those same anxiety based symptoms. So things like excessive worry, you know, feeling on edge and restless all the time, feeling like a perfectionist, having an overly scheduled lifestyle, overanalyzing, being easily startled, but appearing calm on the outside. And I think for those people, the first step is awareness that, oh my goodness, this actually is anxiety. This is perfectionism. I am procrastinating all the time. Huh. So figuring that out is the first step for sure. And then the next step, I run an e-course called Learn to Manage Your High-Functioning Anxiety. So it goes for six weeks and we delve into lots of amazing areas that are quite practical. But for people listening today, one of the major areas is about being mindful in your everyday. So when we're anxious, for example, we put a lot of our energy and focus into the future part of our lives. So being a bit of a gunner. So one day I'm going to start that business or one day I'm going to buy that house or going to get on Tinder or going to have kids <laughs> or whatever it is. And when we constantly have our energy and attention stuck in the future based thinking, it's anxiety provoking. So the best thing that we can do in that is to still hold on to that inspiration. So you might want to start that business. Great. Pulling all of that effort and energy back into the present moment and saying, well, what am I going to do about it now? 
So taking actions. What is the first thing that I can do about the business? Oh, it, I might come up with the business name, for example. Cool. I'm going to do that today. And taking some action on that. And then the second thing I'd say, hand in hand with being more mindful and, and being in the present moment, is becoming more aware of your breathing. So something that was spoken about in the book Thrive by Ariana Huffington is something referred to as email apnea. So I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's when you open your emails and you hold your breath as <laughs> as you figure out what's popping up. And 80% of people do this according to that research. And, you know, that's a great example of having nervous based breathing styles. And so, you know, if we're not breathing well and consistently and deeply, that's a difficult place to calm down all of those nervous energies and the worry. So something I always recommend it's is referred to as alternate nostril breathing Yep. Uh, and if people haven't done that before, they can Google it and watch a YouTube video. But it's basically breathing in through one nostril, out through the other, in through that one and out through the other. And that balances both hemispheres of the brain and calms down the vagus nerve, which correlates directly with the gut, all of the major systems in the body and the brain and, and is a great calmer. Well, there's a, there's a huge amount of research into breath, not only through meditation and, and whatnot, through some other stuff. There's been a practice that I've been working on in the last couple of weeks with my partner called the Wim Hof Method. And I'm not sure if you know who Wim Hof is. He's a Dutch guy. I think he holds like 26 world records. And it's all about cold water. His nickname is the Iceman. If you look up Wim underscore ice on Instagram, you'll see him and all the crazy stuff that he does. And he goes into the cold water, into the environment, and he, and he really encourages you to do that. And there's a lot of science based in and around the breathing techniques that he does and how it alkalizes your blood and how you feel better as a result of breathing more and then going into the cold water because that's something that really kind of shocks you. And it's wintertime in here, here in Sydney as we do that. And I've been doing it twice a day, go out first thing in the morning in a pair of shorts out in the surf out the front here. And the water must be, I don't know, 15 or 16 degrees. But it, and it's not too bad in the water, but when you get out, it's cold and you're sort of sitting in the cold water for 20 minutes to half an hour but the breathing techniques that you need to do there in order to kind of work yourself through that and to settle into that cold, the cold becomes your master and your breath that you have there is the tool that you use to breathe through it. And when I learned the Wim Hof method and all the things that he teaches and all the science that's behind it, I kind of looked at my life and where I've used breathing techniques. And for me, um, I spent a lot of time parachuting. I remember having, I had a parachute malfunction one time and after that had happened the next time I had to go back to the drop zone and strap a rig on and go again. I can remember feeling really, really super anxious about it. And mm-hmm. you, you always a little, you always have that little bit of nervous energy, that bit of trepidation that is there. And it's any work environment. You don't have to be on a drop zone parachuting in the military. The military just shines a spotlight on stuff and amplifies things But you could feel exactly the same way walking in the office in the corporate world. And I have, and I know that post-military, I've walked into plenty of offices that I've worked in for myself and for other people and felt the same level of anxiety in and around those things. And I think it's a normal and natural thing to do. And one really great technique that you pointed out there was the mindfulness in and around your breath. What's your breath actually doing when you feel like that? And I can remember strapping on a rig soon after that malfunction had happened and just noticing that I was like... <laughs> 
and like get the heebie-jeebies about getting in the aeroplane and but really forcing myself to like it's all right man calm down that was like three jumps ago everything's going to be okay and you know 10 jumps on from that i still felt that nervous energy but it had gone away and i learned to breathe through that to get over it because you have to get over it you've got to get over it you can't live your life in that perpetual state of anxiety or breathing like that it's just not a good thing right well, absolutely. And I think some people do get stuck in that state that you mentioned, and that's where we want to give them more support and more techniques to be able to do exactly what you did and recognize it's anxiety. It's not the logical part of my brain talking and be able to extract themselves from that and do whatever they need to do to feel confident and calm and still enact what they will need to do in their everyday life. Yeah, it's, it's almost the reptilian part of your brain triggering a fight or flight response when you're feeling that anxiety and you've got to kind of breathe through that to get to the, the highest cerebral part of your brain to kind of overcome it with a bit of logic and work through it. But that's a technique and it's physiology and it's difficult and it takes time to learn those things, right? Yeah, that's right. And I think for people, it's worth noting that people can get their adrenal system, which sort of sits on top of their kidneys in their torso, can get stuck in the fight or flight mode. Mm. And that generally occurs either uh, six to 12 months after a period of long-term low-level stress or short-term acute stress. So a spouse dying, uh, witnessing a horrific accident, something like that, or just consistent low-level stress, so workplace, business, parenting, something like that. And if their system is stuck in that what's referred to as adrenal fatigue, we need to be aware of that and then go and see your functional health practitioner to be able to help you through that process so you can do all of those amazing things like yoga and breathing and conscious self-talk, but you're getting the vitamins and minerals and herbs from the inside out as well. Well, it's so important the way you describe it from a, a low-level stress scenario, getting on the train, commuting to the city, walking to the office, walking in, feeling that trepidation and anxiety about, oh, my God, what's happening today and how am I going to deal with this? It's almost like that 1% improvement thing that you have every day. If you try and just get better by 1% every day, it's likewise on the other end of that scale, everything's yin and yang. You can get worse by 1% or half percent every day from those low-level stress environments. And I think it's so important to recognize that and to reach out and to do something about that and, and seek some help from somebody like yourself. So that's really good. Well done for you going out there and helping those people. Kudos to that. I just want to shift gears as we come to the end of the interview here and ask you another typical podcasting interview question. If you had an opportunity to talk to a 17-year-old girl in the last year of high school, so she's in year 12, about to leave school, and you had a chance to chat with her for five or 10 minutes, what would you, what would you say to her? It's funny you ask that actually, because I, not too many months ago, I was invited back by my high school to speak to all of the 16 and 17 year olds to give them my advice. No way. What did you say? <laughs> uh, so it's front of mind. So essentially what I said is that your outcomes don't define you as a person. Beautiful. That what comes up for you when you are attempting to create something or write a paper or do your final year exams, as long as you do your best and your very conscious best, 
the next step is to surrender the attachment to the outcome. So you've done all of your study, you've practiced for the final of the soccer game or whatever it is. And then you sort of say, well, I've done my bit over to the world, over to the universe. If I do amazingly, great. If I don't do amazingly, great. And that, that shift in consciousness and thinking is definitely what I would say to myself back when I was 17, for sure. Wonderful. That's really great advice. Thank you for sharing that with us. Tell me, you're working on the Wellness Academy. Is that on the radar for the next 12, 18 months for you? Tell, me, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the Wellness Academy is something that I've created, which hosts that six-week Learn to Manage Your High-Functioning Anxiety course. And the next intake of that is coming up reasonably soon. And essentially what we do is we zero in on the six major areas identified in working with people over the last four years who have high-functioning anxiety. So the first week, as we spoke about before, is on perfectionism and actually acknowledging that is not helping you in every area. We want to keep hold of the parts that propel you to success, but neutralize the areas that are fear-based and anxiety-inducing. And then we look at relationships and still one that I'm working on for sure, which is not holding everyone around me to impossible standards. (laughs) I have super high standards for myself and always have done and recognizing that it's not particularly kind or fair to put those onto your mum or your partner or your colleagues or your kids or your employees. (laughs) Still working on that one. Um, Then we look at mindfulness and meditation. Uh, We look at procrastination, which is highly, highly linked with perfectionism and anxiety because it's this concept that if I leave something to the last minute and then it doesn't go that well, it's okay because I've reneged responsibility you know, if I gave myself more time, it would have been perfect. So it's a coping mechanism for most people who procrastinate. Then we look at uh, lifestyle. So what you're putting in and on your body, movement, exercise. And then finally, the real kicker is surrendering the need to control everyone and everything, (laughs) uh, which is kind of the capstone for the lot and a lifelong lesson and learning for everybody, including me. For sure. So that's done online and then we do live healing meditations which pull in those Eastern techniques and methodology to be able to clear and heal a lot of the gunk that comes up when we talk about these vulnerability-inducing topics. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure that uh, all the links to that are included in the show notes. If you could tell me, what are your daily non-negotiables? What keeps you sharp and focused every day? You're a very busy woman coming and going. There's always something happening. There's online courses. There's offline speaking engagements and coaching to do. What do you do to bring your A-game each day? Meditate, (laughs) as you may guess. But it's important to remember that even though I'm an actual meditation teacher and I do this for a living and run it in corporates, is that it's okay if I miss a day. So it's non-negotiable in that it's part of my weekly routine. But if I get six days out of seven, I've now given myself the permission that that's 
okay. And that's new for me. (laughs) I used to be so rigid about, well, when I wake up, I'm going to have my lemon water and then I'm going to put the washing on and then I'm going to meditate and all will be hunky-dory. Well, I've given myself some permission to relax about that, which is amazing. So it's part of the weekly routine, you might say, rather than the daily one because, you know, days shift and change. Nice one. I've tried to be a little bit kinder to myself as well, particularly with the Wim Hof in the middle of winter here in the cold water. You go outside to the ocean pool at eight or nine o'clock at night and you walk outside in a pair of board shorts and no shirt, you know, and you're like, well, Wim Hof tells me to get back to the environment. This is about as close as it can be. And everything goes out of my mind because it's so cold and you're shivering before you even get in the water. But I've missed a day or two here and there. And I'm like, well, you know, the world didn't end. It's not that bad. But you still have to be strict and you still should try and have the intention of that daily non-negotiable, which is a good idea too. I'm not going to lie, that Wim Hof thing in the ice cold water sounds awful. Power to you. Bring it, bring it. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about mindfulness and breathing. That's like the extreme. (laughs) Very good for your vagus nerves though. So great for anxiety. Well done you. For sure, for sure. Well, tell me, where can we find out more information about you? How can we contact you and connect with you in social media? Uh, So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and the web. And so if you look up Vision Scope Coaching, uh, so www.visionscopecoaching.com, and then you can find the links to all the socials there. Okay, awesome. And again, I'll make sure that all of those links are included in the show notes. Well, that's all we have for you on the Goal In Podcast today. If you haven't already subscribed, open up your favorite podcasting app and bang that subscribe button for us because it really helps us out. And if you like what you heard today, don't forget to leave us a comment and a review. And if you don't, leave us one as well because we always like to improve. Well, again, that's it for the show. Thanks, Tammy, so much for coming on. It's been really great to meet you, mate. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now. My pleasure. Thank you. 